Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, September 23rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as Republican leadership in the Senate rushes to fill the Supreme Court vacancy, we examine what's at stake for the Affordable Care Act and the Mississippians insured through it. Then researchers in the Magnolia State work on developing a nasal spray designed to slow the spread of the coronavirus. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a statewide nonprofit works to help new Mississippi or help new Mississippi voters get registered. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is among 18 states seeking to overturn the Affordable Care Act in a case scheduled to go before the U.S. Supreme Court next month. And the vacancy on the high court created by the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg last week is causing Republican leadership in the Senate to seek an expedited confirmation of President Trump's nominee. Trump says he'll nominate a conservative for the seat, and that plan could tilt the court toward an opinion that will end the 10-year-old health insurance program. State Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney says about 110,000 people are enrolled in the ACA in Mississippi. He tells our Desiree Frazier a decision to end the program would affect the entirety of the health care system in the state. It's anybody's guess as to what ha- could happen. Uh, there are a lot of things that could go on with the court ruling. And that could include things like the individual mandate could be declared unconstitutional. The remainder of the act is uh, declared to be constitutional. The court could uh, strike down part of the case. They could strike down the whole entire case. And if that were to happen, it would be utter chaos in the country because it would affect hospitals, health care providers, doctors, and the um, Twenty to 30,000 people that are on the Affordable Care Act. So you've got 20 million Americans whose uh, health care would hang in the balance depending upon where the Supreme Court would rule. And it's not likely, however, that that would happen before 2022. But it, the court could rule, say, for an example, that the entire law is invalid, but it would not be invalid until 2022 to allow some time for the chaos to kind of settle down. The courts could also rule that the penalty could be set at $1 uh, by the Congress, but I don't see that happening because of all the disagreements we have today in Congress. So it's anybody's guess as to what would happen. Um, My job is to figure out what we need to do based upon what scenarios happen within the state on how we will provide health insurance to the citizens of the state of Mississippi. And we've got some plans on what we should do if the court rules that the ACA is invalid. So you do have a uh, backup plan. We have several backup plans. We're not sure that there would all be applicable in the case. It would depend a lot upon what happens with the court. You know, the court could do such something as crazy as this. They could rule that the ACA is valid in every state in the union except for Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. And if that were to happen, it would be utter chaos for Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas. 
where we would be the only three states that uh, where the ACA was not valid, and we would have to scramble to figure out what we could do, and that would require some action by Congress at that point. What does the ACA currently, in your estimation, mean for people who have enrolled in the program who couldn't get insurance otherwise? Well, uh, for at least 80,000 uh, people in the state of Mississippi out of the 110,000 that are signed up with the ACA, that 80,000 plus uh, receive about a 90 to 97 percent tax credit, which means that they pay very little for the health care and they would lose the ability to have that health care within the state. And they would be added to the roles of another 270 to 300,000 people in the state that do not have health care because Medicaid was not expanded. So you would just have a larger population within the state of Mississippi that was uninsured. And actually, there's nothing in place federally to put in its place. There's nothing in place federally to take care of those folks that uh, fall through the cracks or have no insurance at all. Now, back in uh, 2014 and 15, when most high-risk pools were being disbanded throughout the country, um, I recommended to the legislature that we maintain the ability to reestablish the high-risk pool, but we just let it lay dormant in case the ACA was ever ruled to be unconstitutional, we would have some type of safety net, at least within the state, to provide health insurance for those folks that could not buy a policy that was ACA compliant. So um, that that puts us in a very, very uh, strange position. Mike Cheney, Mississippi State Insurance Commissioner, thank you so much for speaking with us. You're, You're quite welcome. Thank you. Conservatives in Washington have been searching for ways to repeal all or parts of the Affordable Care Act since it became law in 2010. Jameson Taylor with Mississippi Center for Public Policy doesn't support the ACA. He says when the government is involved in insurance, it creates too much red tape. I believe the thing to think about with the ACA and health coverage generally is that Americans want certainty that they can work with the medical professionals that they trust. They want to make sure that they have a doctor that they can use, that they can maintain that doctor-patient relationship, which is so important to them. So the question is, does the ACA help further those doctor-patient relationships, or does it undermine those relationships? I believe that the more government is involved in healthcare, the more red tape there is between patients and doctors. So if we look at the ACA right now, the ACA is not workable. It's on it's on an unsteady foundation. From a legal perspective, the courts are continuing to look at the legality of the ACA and a very important case has made its way to the US Supreme Court. That case is California v. Texas and the court will be hearing oral arguments on that case in November. What that case does is it looks at whether or not the individual mandate is still uh, effective. Uh, In short, the court ruled that uh, the ACA individual mandate was valid as part of Congress's taxing power. But then under the Trump administration, Congress cut that individual mandate tax to zero. What that means is it is no longer in effect a tax. And so the question then becomes, 
whether or not the federal government can force people to buy health insurance. The court is going to take a second look at that. The first case that looked at this was NFIB v. Sebelius in 2012. And so the court is going to take another look at that. And that's why the Supreme Court vacancy is even more important. Jamison Taylor with Mississippi Center for Public Policy. Roy Mitchell of the Health Advocacy Program says the ACA has been attacked since its inception 10 years ago. He says the ACA protects those with pre-existing conditions from being denied coverage. It turns on a very fine point of the law, and that is an issue of severability. There's uh, a question as to inherent here whether or not the individual mandate is constitutional or not. And if it is unconstitutional, does that strike down the entire law? If it does not strike down the whole law, then even with the votes, there is no practical effect. Um, Individual mandate would be struck down and the law would remain. If there was a tied vote amongst uh, the members of the Supreme Court, uh, it could be remanded back to a lower federal court. But if they do prevail and uh, and there is a majority vote, um, you know, we're talking about a huge segment of the population, as well as the uh, provider industry and the insurance industry being upended um, in the midst of a pandemic. Um, you know, there's 133 million people in this country with pre-existing conditions. Um, uh, you know, uh, and the coronavirus uh, has infected nearly 7 million Americans to date, and they'll all have pre-existing conditions. Uh, and, and just as a reminder, under the ACA, no one can be denied coverage under any circumstance, and insurance companies cannot retroactively cancel a policy unless they find evidence of fraud, of course. But uh, It covers pre-existing conditions? <laughs> Yes, under the ACA, no one can be denied coverage under any circumstance, and insurance companies cannot retroactively cancel policy unless they find evidence of fraud. Roy Mitchell of the Health Advocacy Program. In 2017, the Trump administration reduced the individual mandate, which requires everyone buy a minimum amount of health insurance coverage or pay a tax to zero. A lower court ruled last year the individual mandate is unconstitutional. The Supreme Court is scheduled to hear the case in early November. Coming up, researchers in the Magnolia State work on developing a nasal spray designed to slow the spread of the coronavirus. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
a new nasal spray that could prevent someone from contracting the coronavirus is being researched in Mississippi. The spray in trial at the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy and Medicine is designed to block and neutralize the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which causes the COVID-19 disease. Co-lead researcher Dr. Ritesh Tandon says he's hopeful for a vaccine early next year, but thinks a pandemic like the coronavirus should be attacked from multiple angles. He tells our Kobe Vats the experimental nasal spray could help those skeptical about vaccines. This is a, this is a clinical trial in phase one, early phase one. We are recruiting at the Oxford campus right now, and we have had several en- enrollment. And uh, we are looking at uh, the safety uh, at this point, Um, just making sure there is no side effect, no no problem with the anticoagulation effect of heparin. There is data to show that uh, very little heparin is absorbed from nasal cavity from lungs into the blood. So we expect that uh, this this formulation won't cause any bleeding problems, which could be a concern when you're using heparin. And we also are designing, uh, with the chemistry, we are designing uh, some derivatives of heparin that do not have anticoagulant activity, but they still have the antiviral activity. So that is one preventive study that is going on right now. We also have plans to start other studies where we would uh, enroll COVID-19 patients, and we will use heparin uh, in those uh, in those uh, inpatients and see if uh, we get any improvement in in the clinical status of those patients. So, for the layperson, um, basically, it breaks down with uh, this medication will be sprayed into the nose and just blocks the 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 SARS-CoV-2 from uh, getting into your cells. Exactly. So this can be used uh, as a spray sanitizer form. And uh, instead of the sanitizer, you can have heparin spray. And you just uh, put a couple of uh, uh, spray shards in your nose, and that should form a thin layer inside your nose. And that would stop virus from attacking your nose cells. What was the the purpose behind this is it, is this going to be something that would supplement a vaccine for the virus or is this uh, something different that people would might need to take supplementary or is this something all of its own yeah this will certainly be a supplementary uh, if we have a good vaccine and i hope we do in the next few months uh, we would still need something uh, that supplements that because you know vaccines are never 100 percent protective Uh, A good example is a flu vaccine uh, that we take a flu shot every year, but it's never 100% protective. So uh, an intelligent guess would be that we may not have a vaccine that provides 100% protection or that may not have 100% coverage. But this would be something that everyone can use, uh, carry around with them, and uh, it may be able to help uh, a little bit with um, with prevention and uh, in social settings where it's not possible to use the mask, such as restaurants where you know you cannot just keep the mask on when you're eating. And you know, there's a growing movement in the in the United States um, for people who are against vaccines, or they call themselves anti-vaxxers. Um, and do you think that this could help reach that crowd who is against traditional vaccinations? Yeah, it may be easier to convince people to use a nasal spray uh, than to get a shot. Um, uh, but we will know. Uh, uh, we don't know. We, uh, we we try to convince people to do things, and uh, FDA helps us with their approval. 
but there could be some objections to things that are in clinics and i know there is some people have objections to getting um getting a vaccine getting uh, something in their system so this uh, this may be more benign uh, than a vaccine in terms of social acceptance and when it comes to the the nasal spray itself um what what goals would it play would it be just preventing or would it help somebody who has the virus prevent from spreading it to other people um the idea right now is to prevent people from getting the virus so the the antiviral activity of heparin and uh, we have a lot of data on mice and cell culture that shows that uh, this uh, this particular formulation would not only prevent virus from getting into the cell it would also prevent virus from getting from one cell to other cell which means that uh, if you do get infected you won't be spreading it in your body or to other people and now can you talk about the importance of diversifying uh, studies right now to, th- to focus on things other than vaccines so much of the national conversation right now is just on the on the end goal of a vaccine uh, why is it important to look into things like a nasal spray yeah so vaccines are very good when they work um a very good example is uh, polio vaccine or smallpox vaccines that have really worked to either eradicate in case of smallpox or almost eradicate in case of polio and uh, flu shot is a good example that we get every year and even though it uh, doesn't prevent uh, us from getting flu every year it does reduce the severity so uh, the SARS-CoV-2 is, is a pandemic and it has created such a toll on uh, the society that we need to approach this from several different angles um the focus right now is to use something that's already FDA approved and that can be easily obtained um easily uh, synthesized on a large scale and easily available to people so this uh, all these uh, would be complementary approaches and uh, since this is a new virus and we have very little data on virus biology and immunology at this time and uh, we just had to fight it from different angles and see maybe antivirals would work better in some some scenarios and in some population and vaccine would work better in uh, in some population and uh, with vaccine there may be issues with coverage and maintaining the cold chain and other uh, a lot of other things that can and you mentioned uh, anti-vaxxers so there could be several issues with vaccine coverage as well uh, as well as the efficacy so uh, it it won't hurt to have something else that can prevent or at least reduce the severity of uh, symptoms from covid-19 and when people when can people begin to expect to see this maybe on shelves if if it goes well um i i expect that if everything goes well uh, we would see it uh, in the 6 to 8 months on shelf Dr. Ritesh Tandon is a co-lead researcher at the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy and Medicine. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a statewide nonprofit works to help new Mississippi voters get registered. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. We are a uh, Yucca Drive-In Theater. We're the last operating drive-in in the state of Mississippi. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Freaked me out that you could come and drive your car and park and watch the movie outside. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org/radio or by using your favorite podcasting app, Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. I walk for about an hour a day, every day. I was taking Crestor for years, no side effects whatsoever. My doctor and I transitioned me to a generic. After two or three days, I went for my walk, and the leg cramping was so bad that my neighbor had to drive out and pick me up. If the generic has the exact same ingredients as the Crestor, I don't understand why I'm getting this problem. You know, we have two types of medications. We have brand name, and then we also have uh, generic medications. And sometimes, uh, to save money, most of the times we go from the brand name to the generic. It's the same active ingredient, but the change is how is it packaged in that pill? So what are the fillers? When you go to a generic, you still have to have the concentration of that medication, but how it's delivered may be a little bit different. So if your doctor says, hey, I want to switch you to a generic, I wouldn't balk at it completely. It may save you some medication and do exactly the same thing. But there are some that do cause problems. It's, it's how it's made. It's made a little bit differently, and sometimes that can change in individual people how it's metabolized and uh, the effects of it. I would say if you can afford it, go back to the, to the regular Crestor because it's going to do the same thing into lowering your risk, or maybe try Lipitor or generic Lipitor. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Chris Boyd, host of Think, a call-in program coming to MPB Think Radio starting Monday, October 5th. Each day, I sit down with scientists, politicians, artists, and authors from around the globe for an in-depth conversation. Join me as we learn something new and take a moment to think. That's Think, starting Monday, October 5th, coming to you weeknights at 10 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The deadline to register to vote in the November 3rd general election in Mississippi is quickly approaching. The Mississippi chapter of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI, is working to register new voters for the upcoming election. Executive Director Sitaniel Wimley uh, tells our Kobe Vance registering to vote is the first step a resident can take to make their voice heard. Voting is something that is important to everyone in the state of Mississippi. And what we want to do and why it's important to people that live with the mental illness is because we need people to go out and vote and make sure that they have their voices heard. A lot of times people who live with the mental illness say that they don't feel heard. So one way to have everyone voice have a voice is to actually vote. So it's not a registration just for people who live with the mental illness. It's for anyone who wants to drive by and get registered. And so can you talk about the importance of voting and uh, what that can mean for people in Mississippi and who who y'all are reaching out to and hoping to get to vote? Yes, voting is very important. Um, The reason being is because it allows anyone and everyone to have their say on what's going on in our state and the laws that come down the line when it comes to our state. When it comes to health and mental health, um, the people who make the laws and govern the way that mental health is handled in the state are usually voted in by people in the community. So the voter registration drive only 
makes sense for us to actually support people being registered. So that is why we're doing it and trying to make sure that we get as many people registered as possible. Um, it's, we're not necessarily looking for a specific demographic. Anyone that lives in the state that wants to vote and is not registered, that's who we're targeting. Can you talk about the importance of right now? Um, I think we're getting closer to two weeks out from the, from the deadline of voter registration. Can you talk about the importance of getting people out right now to be able to mobilize that? Yes, definitely. Um, we are doing, there are different ways to register, but ours are paper registration forms. So, of course, the mail, mail system is a little bit slower than normal. So if we get everyone's paper forms in today, we'll make sure that they are in where they need to be so that when the time frame comes up, to actually be registered to vote, your name is in and you can be counted. So when you go to the polls on voter day, um, your name is on the on, able to get a ballot. So it's important to be registered prior to actually going to vote. You can't register, you can't vote without being registered. And a lot of people don't know that October 5th is the cutoff date to be registered to vote. So we want to make sure that we give people ample opportunity to come out, do a voter registration form, and we can get it in. The deadline to register for the November election is October 3rd. Registration forms are available on the Secretary of State's website and can be mailed or hand-delivered to the respective county circuit clerk's office. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.